You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hello and welcome to the San Jose Hockey Now podcast, your trusted source for all things San Jose Sharks on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Floor and joining me on this beautiful Wednesday evening is my co-host and editor-in-chief of San Jose Hockey Now, Shang Peng. Shang, how's it going? Well, I'm uh, live in Los Angeles. Uh, had a couple of drinks earlier, so I might be a, a, a little bit buzzed still. So, actually, Nick, uh, you got any questions for me? Take, take a uh, yeah, uh, uh, see how I am in the state. <laughs> there we go. I, I, I've seen you not buzz, but I've seen you <laughs> with with beers in your system. So, <laughs> so what's, what what question would you ask me uh, if uh, if you if you saw me drunk and thought you can get some information from me? You know, I've. I've never been, I've never even thought of that. I feel like it's, I wouldn't <laughs> okay. have to, like you would be okay. as upfront as possible. You, you missed your chance then. So yeah, I, I think I'll be okay. I'll live. I'll live. <laughs> I think the question that really matters is yes. how's Mushu doing? Uh, Mushu is doing uh, great. I uh, just uh, went to the vet again. Uh, of course, I'm not there because I've been in LA over the last week, um, but looks good healing well, but still got wearing a heavy cast. So. Gotcha recovering yeah. steadily yeah yeah That's yeah I, it, she's a couple, couple weeks away so she's roughly on a kevin lebanks timeline <laughs> but not on his salary so <laughs> definitely not on um on this week's episode folks shang and i are going to go over some recent actually, charts. actually uh the money that we spend on her for her for her productivity it might be uh, actually a pretty uh relatively close amount but <laughs> okay we'll send the bill to kevin then <laughs> But yeah, we are uh we're going to go over some Sharks news mainly surrounding uh Hurdle Middleton, which uh, is a, a bit surprising to some people, uh as well as Barabanov. Then we are going to try and look objectively at what went wrong with the Sharks over these last few years and just how much blame Doug Wilson should bear. Um as always, we do like to note the date it was, it literally just was 11-11, but now it's 11-12, so I guess we don't get to make a wish, so that, that sucks. But it's the 9th of March, and we're slowly and steadily creeping up to that trade deadline, Shang, which is uh, probably sending you in a, I wouldn't say in a tizzy, but it definitely got you pounding the phone for the sources so much that you had to get a new phone to make sure that you could continue doing this. Yep. <laughs> it's been a lot it's been a lot of work uh this new phone is still missing text and stuff so hopefully i didn't miss anything good so and maybe we can find a way to get uh like verizon to sponsor this so they can provide us with better service uh, yeah that, <laughs> that would be nice <laughs> all right shank so practices this week eric carlson's on the ice and it looks like he's set to make his return to the lineup is that correct Yep, uh, he had a good practice today uh, from uh, Liz Child, uh, my Barracuda reporter who went to San Jose in my stead 
uh, earlier today. And everything sounds like it's a go with him. And so we'll see uh, how he looks. Um, yeah, I mean, over the last uh, couple of years, when he's come back from injury, it's been a little bit of a slow start. So I'm curious how he looks. I know that there is some worry about, oh, the Sharks are rushing him or, or whatnot and try to make a playoffs when they are – I don't even know how far back they are now that that's how far back they are. Um, I, you know, I don't think that's what it is, you know, but you know, you do have a player that if you can play, he's going to play and you can say that about any player, you know, it's never a good look. You know, I sometimes hear people talk about, Oh, let's just shut him down for the rest of the season. Come on. The guy can play. (laughs) Good luck getting him off the ice. Good. Yeah. Good luck getting a a guy like that's, that's such a bad attitude to, to have for a player. Like if a guy's like, Oh yeah, I don't want to get hurt. I'm going to shut it down with 26 games to go, even though I'm perfectly healthy. Like, that's the exact kind of player that you do not want on your team, actually. And I saw something interesting with Liz's tweets. Mm-hmm. Defensive pairings, Eric Carlson, and Ryan Merkley. There's no way that that happens, right? <laughs> There's no yeah. way. You know what's hilarious about that? I don't know if anybody else put it out, uh, but uh, I, I listened to some of the tape from today, and Bob Bookner actually said, uh, and I quote, um, I never thought of, of that of putting that pairing together. <laughs> Yeah, I I can only I can only guess why he would think to not put that pairing together. I I I think I I think that that the hope is that Middleton can play and and Middleton will slot in right there. Um, but but the interesting thing though is that Merkley was on a power play unit today, and the power play units are usually a good tell, telltale sign for uh, who's uh, who's in the game. Uh, shout out to our friends at Locked on Sharks who like to tweet me every time uh, every time Ryan Merkley puts, puts on a power play sweater uh, in practice. So, uh, because it's an indication that the guy is probably going to play. And so anyway, uh, I do find that that interesting uh, that that he was still in the power play. So maybe he isn't quite a fill-in. Um, so we we will see. But that's going to be a, a fascinating pairing. But anyway, that that, that quote from, from Bookner, just, just, it just made me laugh. It was, you know, if it wasn't his idea, you know, someone brought it up to him, you know, John Madden or John McClain. And he was always like, what the fuck? No. He was, yeah, he was <laughs> like, okay, we, we that's got an issue. First reaction. <laughs> yeah, we've got an issue scoring goals. I've got an idea. Now you're going to think I'm crazy. You're going to think I'm crazy, Bob. But Yeah. Yeah, that, that'll be high event. That's what I called it when I saw that. I tweeted yes. it out. That would be a high event pairing right there. Yes, you would that's be... a nice way of putting it. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, the no exact quote from Bob is, I've never thought of playing those two together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I said. I'm all about the chaos, you know, so I want Vegas to miss the playoffs because that just would be fun. Uh, you know what? Shark season is, is pretty much over. Let's let's let, let's put Merkley and Carlson together and just, just see what happens. I would love to see it. It's, it's going to I predict it'll be disastrous. So I'll, I will put that out there before it happens that uh, even if they have a good game here and there, it's going to be disastrous because I think you generally want for a defensive pairing, in my opinion, you want complementary players. That's why you don't put uh, Carlson and Burns together in general, right? They only do that like with like two minutes left and they really need a goal or whatever, right? Uh, But yeah, so you generally want complementary players. And um, Carlson Berkeley sounds like even a worse fit than Burns and Carlson because at least Burns, even though Burns is not the most physical of guys, Burns has it in him if he wants to be a little bit more physical. Obviously, he's a strong dude. And so if Burns wanted to kind of do that role a little more when he's playing with Carlson, you know, 
it kind of makes some sense, you know. Uh, yeah. But Carlson and Merkley are basically built the same, you know. Merkley is like the boy version of Carlson. <laughs> yeah. And even though Carlson is, I think, underrated in his strength, he's not like a totally weak dude. Uh, Carlson is not good or strong down low, though. You know, he's stronger than he looks, but he's not you know, Brent Burns or Brendan Dillon or Jake Middleton or whatever. Right. And so anyway, it's fascinating. I love Bob's quote. Uh, it's going to be fun. Pardon my language, but fuck it. Send that shit. I'm ready for it. <laughs> I'm ready for it. Why not? Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Who knows? Like maybe, it, maybe, maybe they'll change hockey to face of hockey with the, the Carlson Merkley pairing. So do you imagine the sharks are rolling five forwards out on the eye? Oh no, that's just Carlson. And no, Merkley. it's five defensemen. Actually, yeah. it's Brent Burns, Carlson and Merkley <laughs> at forward. And they have, uh, yeah, they have Middleton and Malosh on the, on the back end. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh man. That would be f- amazing. Just one shift, Bob. If you're listening, just one shift. Exactly. Yeah. Rudy, Rudy, yeah. <laughs> Merkley, Merkley. <laughs> we can get that chant going, I'm sure. Yeah, we can. <laughs> Moving into the uh, the more serious news, the hurdle trade rumors, as expected, are heating the f up. Uh, but yeah, believe, but the uh, thing is, there are no trade rumors. Yeah, it's all that's, that's... it's all made up scenarios. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's I actually I actually have an article coming out soon, which is made up scenarios, at least at this point. So, yeah, I think the athletic came out with one. It was a joint um, like production or, or or piece essentially about here's all the list of teams and here's what they would give up. And the Sharks are just like, you guys are wasting your time because apparently and I mean, this is hey, I want to say well. fuck it, by the way, my I yeah. have one coming out. That's better. All right. So, yeah, <laughs> Ooh, one up. <laughs> but. The Sharks still want Tomash, and they've made that kind of clear since yeah. day one. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I just want to point out really quickly that, you know, for the football fans out there, this is not a Russell Wilson situation. Uh, this is not the Seahawks, t- you know, tweeting out or saying in a statement a few weeks ago that, oh, we're committed to Russell Wilson. Or the Sharks are, oh, we're committed to Tomash Hurdle. And then, bam, out of nowhere, he's, he's traded out of literally nowhere for – I guess asking price is what I would say. I think the Sharks are going to commit and it's going to come down specifically to Tomas Hurdle on that deadline day to try well, to get Well, uh, not the deadline day, though. The The Sharks don't have that much time. So the, the anticipation, and Pierre Lebrun said it, and I guessed it, actually, that, look, like, you, 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 Hurdle cannot decide on the 21st because if he, if he waits till that long, the Sharks won't have time to entertain trade offers. So... It might be a couple days before or something where we'll have sort mm-hmm. of a kind of a final like kind of hurdle. We'll decide to stay or leave, and then the Sharks will have time to move him. I don't think Hurdle would do that to the Sharks either. Hurdle's not going to make him wait to the twenty first and then say like five minutes before noon or whatever trade deadline is. Like, oh, sorry guys, actually, you know what? I don't want to stay here. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> you we're know? not going to get Tavares. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So it won't. It won't be. So yeah. So it's going to be a little time before. We don't know exactly how long. Will it be a week before the trade deadline? Will it be a few days? I think you need at least a few days, uh, um, and I, I think that that would be enough to take in trade offers and, and, and whatever. Right. And I think teams are also waiting too, right? Because, uh, hurdle is, you know, JT Miller may or may not be available. That's been a little bit unclear. Um, Giroux is a very good center, but he is older. And so hurdle is, is arguably the very best, uh, forward option out there. 
Um, like I said, I think if Miller was available, Miller would be uh, right there. Um, but Hurdle might be the very best option out there. And so your, your team might wait to see what happens with Hurdle because on the surface of it, we talked so much about it uh, that um, if Hurdle wants to win, it doesn't seem like San Jose is a place. Um, and if Hurdle wants money, yeah, he can get that here, but he can also get that elsewhere and win. So, um, yeah. So yeah. Anyway, so we will see. But yeah, the Sharks want him. Uh, the, everything that you're hearing right now is they're they're not even rumors. They're scenarios, right? There's nothing wrong with them. Like I said, I have an article coming out with them, uh, with with some scenarios I I've come up with. Um, uh, but uh, they that's what they are right now. So yeah, the number one wait. for the Sharks, they want to keep him. So I can't wait to produce this episode, put it all out there, and then he signs an eight year extension, and it's all for naught. <laughs> well, hey, you know what? I can't wait for you guys to read my scenario article because it includes taking on uh, Patrice, uh, our Patrick Hornquist's contract or Sean Monahan's contract. So <laughs> you guys yeah, will, you the, guys will get a kick out of that one. <laughs> of all the scenarios, I think Pittsburgh and New York, the Rangers at least make a, a lot of sense. But uh, Boston as well; those are the big three for me. But we won't get too big into that. We'll be doing that at a later episode more than likely after the trade deadline, so we can fully take the time to analyze and get into that. But speaking of contract offers, the Sharks have another player who's hoping the Sharks offer him a contract, and that is Alexander Barabanov. Shane, you actually just wrote an article about that, I believe, today, yesterday, for those listening on Thursday. Yeah, uh, so that's something that I've been following up on kind of qu- kind of quietly over the last uh, few months because obviously everyone is interested in Hurdle and Hurdle's the big domino. And indeed, uh, in this case, from what I understand, uh, talking to my sources, uh, that the Sharks have said that, yeah, Hurdle is a priority and then we'll basically uh, get to Barabanov after that. Who knows if you know, if they will actually put out an offer. I know Alex wants to stay. I know he likes it here. Um, and so it just depends on if the Sharks give him an offer and also, too, if it's a if it's a good offer because um, Sharks may give him an offer, but maybe a lowball offer that he thinks that uh, that he can do better at. And talking to, to a lot of people, I think the debate with Barrett Bonoff is, is he really a top six forward on a good team? Or is he only a top six forward because the Sharks lack depth at wing and they, you know, basically Barabanov is their second best forward after Meyer. And so that's a, that's a, a good debate. A lot of people, I think, do trend to think into trend more into like, yeah, he's a guy who's benefiting from uh, being on a bad team. Uh, but I, I've talked to people who like him a lot. And uh, Barabanov does have a, a, a little more of a skill set than, let's say a Kevin LeBanc, let's just compare him to Kevin LeBanc in terms of, uh, I think that Bear Bonoff uh, kind of underrated is his puck protection. He can make plays for himself a little bit in that way. So he has that quality that uh, makes him a little more attractive as a player. He's not just simply a guy that like, um, you know, needs that open space. Uh, uh, that's how I kind of see Kevin LeBanc. You know, I don't know if Kevin LeBanc makes a lot of space for himself. He's not as good at it, at least. Um, you know, if Kevin LeBanc is in open space, Kevin LeBanc is, is more dangerous. Uh, but Barabanov can kind of make that space himself. And so that makes him kind of a little more intriguing as a skill scoring forward on your team. Uh, but anyway, that's sort of the, the debate, though. You know, if he was a true, like, you don't have this debate over Tomas Turtle. We've seen Tomas Hurdle so much over the years. Everybody knows he's a clear, even though he's struggling right now, he's a clear uh, first-line forward. 
um, on a good team, on a bad team, on any team. You know, Tomas Hurdle is a first-line quality forward. Um, but uh, Barrett Bonoff, there is that debate, and that's why uh, the kind of the his value is kind of perceived as lower around the league. You know, I did an article a couple weeks ago. You know, what would Barrett Bonoff get in a trade? You know. Some people were saying a third rounder, which probably doesn't excite Sharks fans. You know, we're hoping for a second or a late first. You know, when you look at Barabanov's overall production, his points looks pretty good, right? But um, again, there is that perception that he's a guy that is uh, kind of feasting off the big minutes that the Sharks and really, uh, you know, Sharks are, are a handful of, of bad, average, whatever teams, right, that can offer that kind of playing time to Barabanov. Yeah, and it'll be a decision again for them to know days before the trade deadline. So another player who most would not have thought was even close to the trade block, or maybe he's not on the block, but getting getting phone calls for, but apparently it surprises nobody within the Sharks organization, Couture and Bugner specifically, Jake Middleton, our surprise I wouldn't say team MVP, but most improved, I would say, uh, player for the San Jose Sharks. He's getting a lot of attention at the trade trade deadline, so much that I believe it was even on Insider Trading on TSN. Yeah, actually, it is uh, a Pierre Lebrun who reported it first. And then I tracked back with a few of my sources and got a sense of, yes, indeed, there is demand. And uh, I will put it out there that there is uh, interest from more teams than the teams that, uh, that, that Pierre reported. I'll leave it at that. Um, but uh, it's not like he's going to get a lot, though. The sort of the, the going rate that people are talking about is uh, maybe a third rounder. Uh, but uh, if you think of it, it surprised me at first. But when I thought about it, it wasn't that surprising because Jake is indeed the kind of player that teams like in the playoffs. You know, uh, less is called in the playoffs, a little more physicality. You can do stuff in the playoffs uh, defensively that you may not be able to do in a regular season and a guy like jake uh, uh honestly uh would probably flourish a little bit in, in in that kind of scenario a little more rough and tumble a little more clutch and grab right and but not that's not a takeaway from his abilities jake can skate pretty well at least defensively and also too he defends well too and so i think uh, for a lot of uh, kind of uh, you know the reason why it surprised me more was just because of uh, uh, jake middleton's contract status he's he's likely to be an rfa and uh, uh cory from the athletic made a good point that if he doesn't play a certain number of games though by the end of the season i think uh, if he plays under 20 he actually becomes a ufa so in that case maybe he becomes too expensive and you don't want to keep him but if he stays in rfa uh that's a valuable player if, if you're the sharks um, that's not one to you know i think that you easily trade away um yeah. don't have a whole lot of cost effective defense right, versus right. defenseman cross, on this cross, team. Cost control. Yeah, cost control. That's that's a big part of it. Um and so anyway, so we'll see we'll see what happens with him, but uh but that was why it was surprising me. It was more because of his contract, not because he's had uh for himself a really good year. And I've written uh actually uh well Liz wrote one today and then I wrote one uh, yesterday when all this stuff was going down. You just think about where he's come from and uh, you know, spent the the last the previous five seasons almost exclusively with the Barracuda. Uh, the last pick of the 2014 draft. Um, yeah, he's really come come a long way, and so he deserves all the spotlight. 
and uh, his you know his play has definitely elevated. You know, uh, talking to scouts uh, when you know when they're at games or whatever, watching the games and talking to them. Like Middleton is a guy who's who stood out of sort of the the bunch of Sharks defensemen after Burns, Ferraro, Carlson. You know, and the bunch of Malosh and Vlasic and Shimmick and Merkley and just the rest, right? Hadika yeah. and whoever they throw out there, right? Middleton is a guy that has stood above them consistently all season. Yeah, and it's uh, a bright spot, a silver lining, something to hold on to for Sharks fans, at least. I mean, it, it gets you looking at the, for me, it, it's crazy to see his progression. I mean, we, I everyone knew where I stood on him at the beginning of the season, 7th D, 8th D at best on this in this. I mean, team. he might have even been number t- number nine or ten on the depth chart, honestly. Yeah. If you count Kanijov like being healthy, like you know, if you count the, the I, was look, I was looking at the training camp roster yesterday just to refresh myself, and he might have been nine or ten. You know, if you see if he were, you know, depending on where you think like a Merkley belongs, I you know, Pajnuk actually had ahead of him because Pajnuk actually played in NHL last year, unlike uh, a Middleton. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Malosh was probably ahead of him. You know, you know, so. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, it is really a, a wonderful story, and he, yeah, he's a delight to talk to, and so that's another reason why I hope the Sharks keep him. <laughs> well, we all know that Jack Hahn is just laughing at us all right now because he knew. He knew oh, I don't know. If Jack knew before the season, though. So <laughs> maybe he did, but uh, you know, for a lot of us, the, the revelation was this season, and Jack may have yeah. seen him before uh, when he was with the Barracuda more, but. Uh, in past I'll give seasons, Jack when... the benefit of the doubt here. I'll just okay, say that he was the first proponent, the very first. Yeah, I mean, we called true. him a Jake Middleton lover, Shang. We can't <laughs> we go did. back on it. We, we did. can't. We did. We did. We did. We did. We were teasing him a, a little bit, but we're on uh... record, <laughs> and now he's laughing in our face. But I'm okay with that. I'm okay with being wrong here. <laughs> That's pretty much going to wrap it up for our current Sharks talk. Because we are uh, we're hopping in the DeLorean, Shang. We're yeah. going to get the flux capacitor going, and we're going to jump in our time machine, and we're going to talk about where this has gone wrong for the Sharks these last few years. And the easiest person to blame here, and the most, I wouldn't say consistently blamed person, would be Doug Wilson. You see it on Twitter. You see it on Reddit. So, Shang, I'm going to let you take it away. This is your, uh, hope you have a glass of water ready and at, yes, at, at the ready. I do. So, <laughs> good. Because you got to sober up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, yeah, it's, uh, I'm going to let you take over. I'll interject when I need or when I feel like it's worthy, but you got a, a beautiful piece here written for everyone. So I'm going to We probably should, should, should start doing this podcast each with a beer in hand. So that, <laughs> that's what we'll but. do. You guys, on every single episode, whether it's Reddit, Twitter, you comment your favorite beer, and we will attempt to get it prior to you the know, next episode. You know, we 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 only do one a week anyway, so yeah. Yeah, we'll pick one. You know, you know we're I'm not we're not I don't we'll, we'll I'll speak for myself. Not a huge stout guy or anything like that. I mean, I'll drink IPAs, but you just throw your favorite beer out there. We'll try it. We'll let you guys know, and then we'll take these away. But Shank, yeah, go ahead. 
Yep, if we're doing more of a, a, a like we're doing a daily podcast, you know, we would probably die if we were drinking, you know, beers throughout every episode. But well, the <laughs> but sharks one a week, usually though, play every other day, so that's true. That would be problematic. Heavy, <laughs> right? Um, but anyway, so I, the the reason why I wanted to approach this topic is um, there's been a lot of talk about Bob Bugner over the last uh, week. Uh, to be frank or to be uh, honest about it, a lot of it came from me. <laughs> Uh, insofar as, um, you know, after the national game, you know, I thought the story was sort of what is Bob's future. It wasn't anything that people have really been talking about, but they just got embarrassed. And they've also played a string of embarrassing games since the All-Star break. You know, things have sort of fallen apart, uh, not just one loss, but just even how they've been playing. Um, uh, and I, I detail that in that article. And uh, after the national game, uh, and you know, a lot, a lot of you guys probably saw this article. Um, I got a, a text from a former NHL coach, and one of the first things he said to me was that Bob Bugner is coaching with handcuffs on, basically meaning that can't blame him. You know, the, the, the team kind of sucks, you know, especially, you know, with uh, so many injuries, you know. And so, you know, how can you blame, uh, 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 how can you put it on Bob, especially up to the All-Star break? Um, Bob actually was a dark horse candidate for the Jack Adams. I mean, you, you can laugh about it. You can say that, like, I'm being a homer. But if you follow me long enough, you know that I try really hard not to not to do stuff like that. But um but up to the All-Star break, where the Sharks were was way higher than a number of people thought they would be. Uh, they were playing harder, uh, you know, more structured than they had in years. And people will say, oh, you know, Timo Myers had a, a brilliant season. Uh, Eric Carlson has had a comeback year. But hey, you know what, though? Uh, Timo Myers has had a great season. But guess what? They lost Evander Kane and he lost his production, right? And so that Meyer kind of fills that in. So it's not like they really actually, they gained a little more production because uh, Timo's pay, scoring pace has been uh, uh, more prolific than, than Kane's was, but they didn't gain that much production, right? Because uh, Kane was still a very prolific scorer for the Sharks. And the Carlson comeback is a meaningful one, uh, but... Really, though, it wasn't like the Sharks added that much more talent or production than from years past. You know, a lot of their success was uh, because Bob got got them to play, uh, you know, a certain way. And a lot of that is from Bob. I wrote about it in the first half of the season. You can read my articles. And um, so anyway, up to the All-Star break, Bob was, I think, thought, you know, was doing, uh, I think, a terrific job. And so anyway, uh, when those articles came out, though, a lot of people were like, yeah, like uh, we don't blame Bob. But what about Doug Wilson? Doug Wilson, uh, there has been enough talk about Doug Wilson and what Doug Wilson has done wrong. And so anyway, I think it was it's a good topic to explore. And uh, one thing I will say, and I want to say this very clearly, too, you know, uh, uh, before we get into this, you know, you know, I don't want to kick a guy when he's down. We know that Doug is not in the best of health right now. So number one, more than anything, who cares about the Sharks? Who cares about, you know, the Eric Carlson trade, the Vander Kane sign? Who cares about all that stuff? You know, we want the best for Doug's health. And also, too, we recognize everything he's done for the Sharks. You know, if you think about 
him choosing to come to San Jose at the end of his career at, during their expansion year and then s- staying with the Sharks in one capacity or another after he re- for most of his post-retirement uh, or playing career, right? You know, he's Mr. Shark as much as Patrick Marlowe, Joe Pavelski, you know, Joe Thornton. So let's not get that twisted. So, again, best wishes to, to Doug. Uh, we just want to do uh, – objective examination of how the Sharks got to where they are and how much uh, Doug Wilson or really the front office in general, right, uh, is culpable, you know, for it because they are headed to three years out of the playoffs. So anyway, I just want to put that out up up front. So uh, again, best wishes to Doug. Uh, Hope he's uh, back on, you know, back, uh, back uh, uh, in in the saddle uh, really soon. And we can ask him some of these tough questions like, why did you give Evander Kane seven years? <laughs> but anyway, how much blame does a Doug Wilson deserve? That's what we're going to try to look at objectively the best we can. Uh, one hand, obviously, all of it. <laughs> like, let's not let, let's not mince any words with it, right? The buck does supposedly stop with him, right? Yeah. But then on the other hand, though, uh, we wouldn't have much of a podcast if we didn't look at things uh hard and look at things objectively and i've always of the opinion that you cannot view any gm's moves in hindsight you have to examine if they made sense at the time another thing i would add to that too is what people were tweeting asking you know uh, you know asking me or tweeting me like hey how come you know doug you know, how come Doug is not getting more blame for, for, for everything that's happened here with the Sharks, right? And one of the things I answered is that, in my opinion at least, um, you know, coaches you can judge year to year, even month to month, I think, right? In a, in a lot of ways, right? Just like how engaged the team is. Is the team getting better under, under a coach? Uh, a lot of different things that you can assess from month to month with a coach, right? With a Bob Bogner, right? Yeah. Um, what, with a GM's moves, though, a lot of them, you have to look long long term you know you have to look kind of bigger picture now i don't have a set number of years where oh it's fair to examine somebody a gm's work or whatever right you know maybe some people will say three years some people will say five years or whatever right but since we are coming up to two uh three years out of the playoffs it's close enough where we can kind of look at some things i think i'm sure this is a talk that we'll have more of the summer to look harder at some of these things right i just kind of did a well, I, you know, I, I don't want to say just a cursory look because I spent a good amount of time on this, but, uh, but, uh, we're like man on Marsing this right now. <laughs> if there but, was a man yeah. on Mars watching this, how would they view the moves that were made at the time? That's Maybe. what we're trying yeah, to yeah, do. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's, 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 that's a good way, a good way of putting it. And so, um, but yeah, I think it, I think though I've come up with some interesting stuff here though. And so let's just kind of, kind of jump, jump into it. And one thing I'm going to tease something right now, just so you guys will keep listening to the end. It is not just about the contracts. Everybody talks about the contracts, Vlasic, Jones, Kane, Carlson, Couture, Burns, right? All the long, bad contracts, right? It is not just about the contracts. And actually, I would offer that that's not the main reason why the Sharks have missed the playoffs for the last three years. And so so we'll get to that at the very end here, though. So, But the contracts are a really good place to start, obviously. And so... Okay, so let's go back to 2016. 
up to that point, uh, Doug Wilson had been really careful about handing out long contracts. His longest up to that point was to Milan Mahalik, a six-year contract. Uh, but when he offered it Mahalik, Mahalik was a 22-year-old. So it was one of those long contracts you know, with a very low cap hit that was a, really a total win for the, for the Sharks. Uh, except that Mahalik, you know, uh, his career was kind of cut short a little bit with knee injuries. But the Sharks had traded him uh uh, uh, before that happened to him, because uh, or before that really took a toll on his career, because they traded him for Danny Heatley, obviously. But anyway, so that was up to that point. Uh, the only long contract that the that the Sharks had, or six year contract that the Sharks had given out. I actually wrote about this over the summer. the The title of the article is "Since 2016, Doug Wilson has been handing out longer contracts to older players." And the one factoid from that article that I, I want to bring up too, besides the fact that, yeah, the longest contract up to the point was six years, 26 million to Milan Mahalik, um, was that up to that point of the Mahalik contract, uh, every AHL franchise, except for the Arizona Coyotes or and the Sharks, had, at, had given at least one seven-year or longer contract. So that's how steadfast Doug Wilson was with uh, handing out longer contracts. Now, obviously, and we'll go kind of chronologically with this, and we won't spend too much time with the contracts because, like I said, um, we've talked, you know, kind of to death about them. Uh, but we want to kind of do a quick overview of sort of the in the hindsight kind of like, or not in the hindsight, but at the time, you know, uh, were they sensible moves? And so anyway, everything changed in November 2016 when they signed Brett Burns, right, to the eight-year deal. And the funny thing was that this actually was the deal that has worked out the best for the Sharks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, if you follow the maxim uh, that I invented, that you pay for the first four years, you pray for the last four on uh, these eight-year contracts, well, uh, Burns uh, was a Norris caliber contra player in the first two years of his deal. Started in 2017-18. And the last three years, uh, you know, he hasn't been a Norris player, but he's still been a good player. I know that he's not popular with a certain segment of the Sharks fans, uh, but he's still widely considered to be a top four defenseman. You know, on a good team, he's a number three, maybe. Right. So yeah. that's the last three years. So that's still pretty good. Okay. It's not, you know, you probably hope for a couple more like great, awesome years, but two Norris years and three good years better than, 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 than what we're getting to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, the, the things that we need to talk about, Burns was 31 when he signed and you can argue that, that's the moment. And I'm going to give you an example later of a GM that I think actually did do that, that has kind of refused to overextend guys and the team has been successful for it. Uh, but let's get to that a little bit later. I think that's an interesting point and it's going to, you know, create a more, actually more conversation in, in the future. But anyway, water break. So, you can argue that you should never sign these 30-ish guys to an eight-year contract, right? On the other hand, what was Doug Wilson's alternative at the time? Let Brett Burns walk, a Norris, uh, Norris caliber player. Who was going to replace him? Who was going to step in? 
Um, at the point, too, you still had uh, Joe Thornton. You're still trying to win a Stanley Cup. You still had a good team. I uh, don't know if you had a great team, but you had a very good team that was, you know, very close to it. You had Joe Pavelski. So you had a lot of, you know, the Sharks were still a, a power then in 2016 obviously they're just coming off the, the a final right a trip to the finals and uh, when uh when wilson extended burns and so what was the alternative right and actually that's a good question actually that's a fork in a road road that uh that actually would probably be a good episode in the future yeah, because i think this starts out the chain of events kind of right it's not to blame burns but if you give burns a year contract well how do you justify the two everybody else on your team that you're not going to give it to them, you know, be it a Mark Edward Vlasic or a uh, Logan Couture or a Eric Carlson. Right. So yeah. I, I wonder, yeah, let's, so I think that's a good podcast or a good article to, to see what, what were Wilson's alternatives then if he, let's say he traded Brett Burns in, in Bill Belichick style, you know, you know, trade a guy, uh, you know, it's better to trade a guy a year early than a year too late. Right. And so, that's that's an interesting interesting kind of kind of kind of walk uh, down uh um uh you know uh, uh interesting alternative history yeah yeah though one thing i will say though i'm probably going to make this point when we uh when we do if we ever do that podcast or if i write that story is that burns was so important to integral to just how we've talked about just how much he she was he shot back then how much of the offense revolved around him so he wasn't just a great player on your team. Literally, your team's offense. He was the fulcrum of your team's offense. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. Yeah, you have to really put yourself back in 2016. You do. You do. You do. You do. You, you can't, can't just... look at Brent Burns now and say, oh, no. The, yeah, obviously, exactly. That's the whole point of this is exactly. to objectively look back then and be like, exactly. why would you not sign a Norris Trophy winning shot attempt madman yep. to a, a max deal yep. to secure him. And, you know, looking back at some of the comments back then, you know, I think there was some concern because Burns was 31. So there's no question about that. Uh, but uh, everyone kind of had the idea like, hey, you know what? Uh, uh, if he's great the first four years, then this deal was worth it. You know, that generally yeah. they, they had that idea, you know, and um Plus, he I'm was, pretty he's sure the, closest. The, the advanced stats are probably saying your probabilities of winning a Stanley Cup are better with him on your team. Rather Obviously, than yeah. So that and that was the window for the Sharks, though that kind of yeah. timeline, right? So okay, but we can see that there's an arc, there's a discussion there, though. Correct. Um, yeah. That we'll have some other time. Next two big contracts um, are actually my favorite ones to talk about because these are the most. <laughs> obvious ones that that turn awful but they are so defensible at the time and people that that knock it now especially vlasics total revisionist history complete revisionist history in my opinion now i was not a sharks fan back then right but nick you can tell me maybe more and hey you know what you guys listening you guys were fans back then but to me this is total revisionist history if you're knocking the mark Everett vlasic signing let me give some of the, the background for it and then nick you can jump in here uh but okay so jones was Let's start with Jones first. Jones was 27 when he was re-signed, right, to a six-year contract, and his 5.75 million cap it was, a, I think, about 12th in the in the league at the time, which is, I was fair, you know. I think Martin Jones, uh, the first couple of years in San Jose, he was a he was a 
above averageish starting goalie, right? He was an elite guy. He wasn't a yeah. top five guy, but he was above averageish, and he was young. This is he's twenty seven too. So this is actually my perception. My I I don't think this was as much of a piece. People even back then were like. Don't spend that money on the goaltending. You know, goaltending sort of like the running back of of, of of hockey, where he's very replaceable. As long as your defense is a good is good in front of whoever goalie, whatever goalie you put out there, you should be fine. Whatever, right? So yeah. I get that argument. That's a fair argument. But uh, but if you look at this other perspective, where Jones was youngish and his cap hit wasn't that high, really compared to other goalies, it's very defensible. Uh, the big one here, though, is Vlasic. That's what I want to talk about. And again, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious what you think about about or what you remember, Nick, about people's reactions. But anyway, Vlasic was 30, but he was still considered unquestionably one of the best demon in the world. And here's an excerpt from a Greg Wyshynski article, actually, from the day that both Jones and Vlasic resigned. But anyway, this is uh, about Vlasic, and the art, and it goes, uh, and I quote. He's an elite shutdown defenseman and a player who drives possession. As much as Norris Trophy winner Brent Burns was the star on the blue line, it's Vlasic's ability to solidify a second pairing uh, that's essential to San Jose's success. And looking back at some of the comments, I was curious. I don't see I didn't see anybody complaining about re-signing Vlasic. In no, fact, was, everybody... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. He was that guy. You know, him and Justin Braun were the... Like you said, the elite shutdown duo that would, I mean, they, I think they effectively held, I don't remember which run he, it was. Actually, McDavid, uh, that's yeah. actually cited in, in the Wyshynski article where uh, they were just coming off the 2017 playoffs. The Sharks did lose in the first in the first round, but uh, uh, Vlasic is widely credited with holding uh, McDavid to, I think, two goals and four points in six games, something like that, yeah. right? And yep. yeah, and I, yeah, I, I want to, to underscore all of it, right? Like, in fact, actually, the, the feeling that I remember just from a distance, you know, it wasn't really, I wasn't covering the Sharks then, was that people were actually thrilled for Vlasic because he was uh, uh, finally being paid while he was worth. Because up to that point, Vlasic was, was actually severely underpaid. And uh, not to say that, you know, Vlasic, you know, just, we should be happy with, with what Vlasic is making now as a reward for what he did in the past. But the point is that that there is very little evidence that Vlasic was declining back then. I think there might be some some analytics from back then, but we're talking about things like horsing, things that like honestly, like people still don't pay like the people in front offices, they don't pay that much attention. I don't think to Corsi, it's not a defining point in their decision. What people, but people who are watching a lot of the eye test people, they still love Vlasic. I am actually curious about some of the analytics uh, because I actually don't know. I don't think that's when he declined. Actually. I think, I think the drop-off came after that. And so the only argument against Vlasic and Burns is obviously the age thing. Right. But once you start down the Burns road, um, I don't know, you know, does, you know, like, you know, does that mean that you had to give Vlasic that, that kind of money too? Well, I mean, you don't yeah, but have you're to. you're not expecting but... his game to fall off like that. Exactly. He's, 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 he's playing that shutdown defenseman role. He's not out there burning people around like Brent Burns or like Eric Carlson. He's, he's not like fully revving and redlining his engine. You just expect him to continue to play well in his own end and be a puck possession monster and a great controlled exit guy that he has been 
And, you know, there's a reason why he got, <clears throat> excuse me, gold medal in 2014, just three years before that extension. You don't get invited to the Olympic team unless you are at that level of elite play. Okay. And so, I will say, I'm, I'm taking a, r a rough look at his. Uh, at his uh at his analytics right just the basic analytics course you right there was a drop off in 2016 17 and so maybe that that was a, a point where you could have said like hey there is something to worry about here uh it's just one year though uh the analytics were still really strong up to 2015 16 at least the basic ones here right um so okay you know maybe uh but Again, by and large, though, what I what I saw, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, I please, yeah, please do, right? Uh, because I, you know, I wasn't as close with the sharks uh, back then. But mostly, though, I see people that are happy were happy that that uh, that 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 uh, he was re-signed. So, well, yeah, but then his his play kind of like went back up in that that season as 2017-2018. His offense spiked back up. His defense was still the same. I mean, I'm just looking at the uh, at the just the J Fresh like hockey cards here. Just using mm -hmm. this specifically, okay, sure. Mm -hmm. He was still one of the best defensive players in the game. So, I mean, to it's it's justifiable in and of itself. Just by, I mean, if you're going to look at the advanced stats, right, and just kind of mm -hmm. use this in its own scope, then why? Would this not be okay? Watch, I'm just I'm gonna bring it up for you right here. This sure. is 2018. Let's go back to 2016. He's a monster, right? But you see, you see this drop in offense, but that's not mm -hmm. what he's known for, right? He he is the best top pairing shutdown defenseman at 28 years old. He has a bit of a drop at 2017. It's still and then good a year though. Later, still it's amazing. Still good. Yeah, there's a drop. Okay, and then. 2019 then, yeah 2019 okay, is when the real drop comes in right. just an absolute right. like a monumental collapse and, uh, yeah and i, I want to be very careful i always say this too uh that i don't want to use these analytics selectively to defend because I, I i don't think that people use these analytics seriously especially for uh in my assessment they they, they don't you know yeah. uh, i don't think just, so, just helping like, to wrong. paint the picture i'm like i don't have this the 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 general statistics i can't mm -hmm. tell you based on the eye test but we're just using this to paint a broad picture of like we yes, said in the intro we're point, just yeah. seeing where it went wrong and it seems like that 2019 year is where things kind of fell off really dropped off yes yes so like, yeah good yeah no he just went from a 90th percentile defensive player to a sub 20 percentile def uh, defensive player just based on these statistics sure 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 in yeah. that single season so when he was re-signed, basically, by and large, everybody still perceived Lassic, obviously including the front office of the Sharks, but around the league, too, as uh, one of the premier shutdown defensemen in the world and overall one of the best defensemen in the world. Um, and so there's very little question of that back then. And so, again, you know, you're hoping that you're going to get, you know, uh, maybe – four great years out of Vlasic, right? The, the first half of the contract. And you didn't get really... You know, Vlasic's uh, new contract kicked in in, uh, I think it was 2018-19. So you got mm. one pretty good year, I think. Uh, I think... Let me double-check that. If it's 2018-19 when his contract kicked in, should should double-check on that one. But yeah, at the most, you got a year and a half of, of top-end play. And then, like we said just a just a fall off at that point 
Yeah, so yeah, the contract kicked in in 2018 19. Uh, that year, I do remember his play was a little up and down that year, but in the playoffs, it was he was great in the playoffs. Yeah. And so it looked like, you know, you're still feeling okay about the contract that year. Not great. You know, I know that, again, I remember the regular season being a little rough for him. And I remember at a certain point, he was on like the bottom pairing with Tim Heed. <laughs> and oh, so yeah. that, you know, yeah, because that was a deeper Sharks team that they, that, that, Vlasic kind of playing bottom pairing was kind of crazy actually uh, back then, but you can kind of, you can, it was kind of convincing though, you know, because they had like Dylan and Justin Braun as like a second pairing at the time and Carlson was hurt. So it was Shimmick Burns and it actually kind of made sense because they were deep enough for that. And so anyway, the drop off though, looks like it was really 2019, 20. And then the next step since then, it's gotten worse kind of right. Um, um, But Anyway, uh, so okay, so the next big signing is obviously the the Vander Kane one, and May May twenty eighteen, and this one I totally agree deserves to be criticized, and not in hindsight. It's not because of Vander's play, obviously, and Vander when he signed was I think twenty seven, so he was youngish, so no question about that, right? But a question that any Sharks fan would, there Sharks fan were asking back then too. I, I think. A lot of fans were happy with it because he had been so good when he arrived in San Jose. But there were a good segment of Sharks fans that were kind of wondering when the other shoe was going to drop with his locker room, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, And that's exactly what happened, right? And so the question there is, let's say that a lot of the the things that he was accused of up to 2018 – just allegations, whatever. He's a pretty unlucky dude, whatever, right? There's still clear locker room stuff that had come out that was not like not luck stuff. You know, Dustin Bufflin doing what he did to Kane, that's not a luck thing. Justin Falk fighting Evander Kane and Buffalo and, and saying, you know, stop being so selfish. That's not a luck thing, right? There was issues in Buffalo and Winnipeg. So the question uh, is not that they resigned Evander. Uh, I get that, and I get sort of their belief that, hey, he was so good in that little stretch for San Jose. We have strong leadership here. Uh, he is young. He is fast. You know, we need something like that to kind of, you know, you know super, uh, you know, um, uh, super drive or, or I'm sorry, like uh, supercharge our, 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 our attempt to get that Stanley Cup for Joe Thornton. I get all that, right? But why seven years? Why seven years? That that to me is a part that is um, with the risk of what you've seen in Winnipeg and Buffalo, right? With him, right? I just that's that's the one that that will always you know uh, make me wonder, uh, you know, why that long? So this one, this one, I you know I can defend Burns, Jones, Vlasic. Uh, I can even defend right. I've I've defended. Kane to a certain extent like I understand that he was great when he first came to San Jose he was a good fit uh everyone liked him right in the locker room it seems like right back then but with his past issues the seven-year thing is a head scratcher and you know Evander was an impact player a good player but Evander Kane is not a superstar you know, we're going to get to Eric Carlson. I'm going to, you know, we're obviously going to get to Eric Carlson's, Carlson's contract, right? And obviously, Eric Carlson, there were risks signing into I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but Eric Carlson at his prime, though, was a superstar. He was a team changing guy. And so, uh, so that's going to be part of the argument for risking with Carlson. With Kane, though, seven years for a guy who is just 
a good player, a very good player, but just a good player and with all the stuff that was already attached with him, right? Uh, you know, we're not even talking about the sexual assault, harassment allegations, right? We're strictly focusing on the locker room stuff. Um, yeah, I, that's still a, a head scratcher. That one deserves to be criticized again uh, because at the time, uh, it was questionable. Yeah, even just think about too, just how how willing Buffalo was willing to give him up. Buffalo was willing to give up this thirty goal guy in his prime, uh, and they didn't demand a first round pick. The first round pick was conditional. He signed, yep. you know. So anyway, so okay, so so Evander, we've talked about obviously a ton over the years. Okay, this one is a clear at the time, like. Um, you know, if, if the Sharks had signed Evander Kane to say three years, right. And, you know, Evander Kane went on this summer being like he did such summer of being in the news every day, every week and all for bad reasons. Right. But, you know, the Sharks had mitigated the risk by signing a, a, a shorter term contract, three, four years. Right. Then I would not, I would not really, uh, uh, blame Doug Wilson or the front office for this one, but seven years. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's still baffling, but. Anyway, and I'll, let me add too that there might have been competition for Vander Kane. Maybe someone was going to offer six years. I, I have no idea because he signed up before he even hit the open market. I'm not really sure about that, right? But with all the the, the risk with Vander Kane, like even us on the outside media fans could see uh, to to sign him to. To 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 seven years is still again a head scratcher. You know, uh, offer him four, offer him five. If somebody wants a pony up for six, seven, let him. <laughs> yeah, then you keep your first round pick. And that too, yeah, that too, yeah. So yeah, anyway, yeah. So so that's 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 the one. That's 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 one that I think deserves a clear question. And again, it's not because of the on the ice play because Evander Kane is a great player, but. Um, yeah, uh, the years given again, yeah, uh, it's just term at that point, big question mark on term. So, yep. Okay. So the next big one here is Logan Couture's in July, 2018. And it's been criticized a bit, but I don't think Logan Couture has been bad since that contract kicked in, in 2019, 20. Um, he hasn't been great. Uh, he's been closer to a second line center than a first line center. And he did not give you the the dominant years that Brent Burns gave you in the front half of the contract. He didn't even give you the production that Evander Kane gave you in the first couple of years of his contract either. Um, but he's still a good player. Uh, I would call him slightly overpaid, but I, you know, the first three of the eight years actually, if, uh, Logan's doing okay with the contract. It's not, it's not the contract that's killing the Sharks. You know, it's not, it's not uh, Mark Edward Vlasic. It's not Eric Carlson. Um, and when Logan signed it, I think, uh, let's see, got to double check the, the age. I think Logan was 27, 28. He was, uh, just sub 30. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah. So their birthdays, I get all confused with the math. Mm Mm-hmm. So July, 2018. So yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. So uh, not 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 a great one, but it's 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 not it's it's not it's not one that 
uh, is killing. And even at the time, it, you know, kind of made sense. You know, he's, you, you know, he's the guy that you see as your future captain, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of people, you know, kill Logan like, yeah, you know, the team has missed the playoffs for the last three years. Where's the leadership? Look, Logan Couture, this isn't basketball, you know, it's, and he's not LeBron James in his prime where he could carry a team of scrubs to the playoffs, right? This is, you know, Logan Couture is a great kind of, uh, you know, piece to the puzzle, right? You know, Logan Couture would be such a great fit for, I don't know, a Bruins team or for like a team that has a first line center but needs that ideal second line guy, that was, blue guy, that two way guy. Say David Krejci too. It's funny you say Bruins. Yeah, you know, like uh, um, he he is still an excellent player, and he is still you know more of a kind of a like uh, almost almost like 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 he is like a and I mean this in a good way a role player with a lot of skill kind of you know where you know he's that two way guy that glue guy that's you know going to going to paper over and. Uh, make up for a lot of people's mistakes, that sort of thing, right? But obviously, you can't make up for as many mistakes as these sharks and the last the sharks from the last couple of years are going to make, but or have made, but uh, on the ice. Um, but anyway, uh, so I can, you know, again, don't love the term, um, but I think that this is still in the realm of of defensible and. You know, at least somewhat reasonable, especially if you're taking into account that they're expecting the cap to continue to go up. Mm-hmm. Just, just, just throwing that little tidbit. No, out that's there. a fair. That's a fair point too. At this point, uh, every projection was that the cap would go up. Uh, obviously, no one projected COVID and a pandemic, and you know yeah. the cap flattening for a couple of years there and that sort of thing, right? Um, but I'm going to get to another point with that because when we get to, you know, a, a Vander King contract, I have a lot of questions about. The Logan one, I'm not as convinced that the Sharks should have given him that. You know, Mark Edward Vlasic at the time, no problem with that contract. He was that good, that special, a defensive defenseman, right? Brent Burns, 31, yes, but Brent Burns was a special, special player. I don't think there's any question about that. But I would say the one trend that we see here with Kane and Couture, right, is that these big contracts were given to guys that are very good players, right? But they are not special players. They are not, uh, you know, they're not the Norris Trophy winner that Brent Burns was. They aren't the premier shutdown defenseman of, of the league kind of players, right? They're not yeah. Olympian guys either, right? Uh, like Vlasic and Burns were, you know, Olympians for Team Canada too. Of all, actually, I don't know if Burns ever made the Olympics actually, but Burns would have been an Olympian if they had a 2018 Olympics, obviously. Uh, yeah. Or the NHL players went to the 2018 Olympics. That is, so uh, Burns was an Olympic caliber player. I think sure. another thing to look yeah. at in, in regards to the Couture extension and sure. the roster makeup at that time is you have an aging Joe Pavelski. You have an aging Joe Thornton. You expect these guys to not be on the team within the next few years just because of their age. You know, you're not sure. going to give them the contracts that they might warrant or that they might want. Your center depth at that point is abysmal. It's if you take those guys out of the equation, mm-hmm. you have Hurdle who's still transitioning between wing and center. Right, right. So kind of maybe knee injury, Couture. right? Yeah, that kind of yeah, then stunted you have him. Chris, Chris Tierney and you have Josh Norris coming up 
from your, you know, still like year out, D1 year. You don't even know what to make of him. You have to lock down your center depth. Well, maybe, yeah. I don't want to over-defend Doug here on this one. I will say again, though, the one point I would say that is, uh, that I actually was just thinking about now uh, that I, I didn't uh, think about was that both uh, Evander and Logan, just good players, you know. Uh, you know, very good players. I, I know uh, Logan had his sort of, uh, or, you know, has a proven playoff track record. So you do kind of factor that in as another plus for why he deserved a little more money, more years. But overall, though, uh you know, both Evander Kane, Logan Couture, you know, just good players. You get, again, Vlasic Burns, I get, you know, because those guys were, were pretty special players. You know, even, you know, even though Vlasic is not as singular a player as Brent Burns, you know, let's not underrate Vlasic. You know, Vlasic was, um, again, you know, a world-class shutdown defenseman. They just don't make a lot of guys like that. And that's, yeah. that's a special guy to have on your team. You know, um, you know, to use, uh, you know, uh, analogies in different sports, you know, you know, he might be like the what's the in football? What's what's the defensive position like that? That, you know, it's super valuable. Is it a cornerback? So, uh, well, I mean, you can have a shutdown corner. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. Richard Sherman was for the Legion of Boom. Yeah. Or... Yeah. Kind of like that. I mean, that's that's a pretty special, special thing. Like you just don't, you know, like 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 you overpay for I think you over at least for my team and how I construct the team, you know, if I could have a, a guy like Vlasic in his prime on my team, I might choose that over a Brent Burns or a Eric Carlson. Because you can find guys, you may not find Brent Burns, a singular guy like that, but you can find guys that will do a, a, a really good job on a power play, but you don't find that many guys like a Vlasic that focus on defense and are so so we're so good at it. That's just my opinion, but defense wins championships that's that's sort of my my thinking but uh but anyway though so okay so let's move on to the next huge one right the one that has been talked about so much so we won't spend too much time on it the nhl season has been packed with dirty dangles hat tricks and big wins as the action rolls on DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nhl has your shot to win big too New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's right, a bump in the win column for your team means free bets for you. And if Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you still have a shot to light the lamp. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contests. It's simple. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet just $1 on any NHL team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. 21 or older only. Restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Eric Carlson, right? July 2019. But again, though, going back to what I've said about you know, some of these other guys, right? Like, and, you know, about Burns and, and to a lesser degree, Vlasic. Carlson was such a special player, such a special player. And even that season, even though he was hurt, he had a special couple of months there, right? Yeah. I still, I still talk to scouts today about how good Carlson was in that stretch, in that December, January, February stretch of that season. Still the best defenseman in the world at that point. And so at that point with the Sharks, I totally get it. I really do. I, I'm going to defend the Eric Carlson signing and the trade because of just how good he was. You know, like, okay, I don't want to over say it. Like, 
he he uh, Eric Carlson may not wasn't the Bobby Orr of our generation, not quite that. But in terms of just like you get a chance, like you get you're rolling the dice, right? That if you can get three prime Eric Carlson years out of his eight year deal or whatever you get out of it, right? I mean, you changed your team uh, for those three years. You know, again, franchise altering kind kind of play. That's what he that's what he provided Ottawa. That's what he provided San Jose for for a couple of months there. Um, and so the roll of the dice was you take a chance on this guy and if he gives you some of that, then it's going to be worth it. Even if he doesn't quite, you know, make it to the end, or even if like, it's just a couple of great years. And of course, you know, it's, it's, it's overall, it's been a bomb, you know, um, Eric's had a nice year this year, but the first couple of years were rough of his contract. And even this year, good, but uh, better. But I don't know if he is, you know, at that level or if he ever will be again. So miscalculation, whatever. But uh, do you get it at the time? Yes. Would another team have taken that leap? I believe so. We don't know. We don't know because he never hit the open market either. But um and I know that teams were wary back then too. So I'm not going to say that this was a slam dunk. So I, I'm not going to try to, you know, I think if Brent Burns hits an open market and if they allow him to in the summer of 2017, uh, that would have been a slam dunk. Uh, there wasn't really any concern about uh, Brent Burns and his sort of his, his physical makeup and his injuries because he had, had very few. Even Vlasic, if Vlasic hit the open market uh, in what that would have been 2018 then, same kind of thing. I, I don't think there was going to be any questions about it. Um, even Couture, actually. Couture hits the open market. Um, you know, Couture had been so consistent, such a playoff performer, um, that I think someone would have given him a similar contract that 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 uh, Doug Wilson gave him. Um Evander Kane, obviously, there would have been some question marks, just but not the on the ice stuff, but obviously the locker room and off the ice stuff. And Carlson, there were question marks about the injuries and and whatnot. But I, I've said this back; I haven't changed my tune on this. I said this in, early in the 2019 season, you know, 2019-20 uh, season when I, I when I was asked about it, um, that the payoff so huge with Eric Carlson, so huge with Eric Carlson that that. You think I think it was a worthy gamble. Um, yeah, I yeah, that's 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 sort of the long and short of it. I'm sure a lot of people will disagree with me, or they'll just look at what has happened since then. But I make that trade a million times out of a million. The signing, yeah, the, the that he got hurt in 2018. There'll be some pause, but I still resign him too. Maybe, maybe, maybe uh, a lower AAV <laughs> is probably the. Th- the thing that was the biggest question mark for me is just like, oh, okay, they re-signed him. Cool. So we're going to forfeit this pick. Doesn't matter. And it's like $11.5 million a year. Like, that's a huge, huge pill to swallow. Yeah, but... you've already got $15 million committed in two guys. You add another $11.5 million on top of that. $26.5 million of... At the time was I think it was eighty one and a half or eighty one whatever it was it's kind of it, it, it's sense. yeah it's eighty it's eighty one and a half now last couple of years um yeah I'll go ahead though yeah you're you're saying though yeah that, it was just like oh man I just had like a lump in my throat when I saw that I remember but, exactly where I was I woke up mm-hmm. I got the text like from my cousin ek sixty five with eyeballs emoji and I was like what the hell happened did they re sign him but it's like 
God damn, that's a big contract, man. That is okay. Oof. But here's here's the argument, though, right? Uh, no, no, okay. I, I I understand it. It's just like that's how my that was my gut reaction right then and there. Like I can be completely upfront and honest and say, like, you've seen what he can do. That's world changing, elite, number one defenseman in the world type of player getting that type of money. It's just like, oh man, that's a big fucking number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay, so the well, I want to add context to it. Context to it, though. Like, I I understand what you're saying that it's just such a huge number, right? And Eric Carlson is still the highest paid defenseman in the league, <laughs> yeah. uh, even though three years uh, after he signed that contract. Um, but uh, Drew Doughty uh, in the previous summer uh, had signed uh, eight year, eighty eight million dollars, eleven million dollar per contract. And so, so it's Drew Doughty's fault. Jeez, actually, it, it kind of <laughs> is, yeah. Because if you look at, I'm just looking at defensemen and uh, contracts over nine million per, right? Um, yeah. And PK Subban set the market in 2014. He signed a nine million dollar contract, and then there's actually nothing uh, up to Drew Doughty. And Drew Daly, July 2018, signed for 11 million. And of course, this is everyone's assuming the cap's going to go up, all that kind of stuff, right? Fuck LA screwing over the sharks one way or another, man. I mean, I, I honestly, you know, like uh, if Drew Daly signs a ten, then probably the sharks give Eric Carlson ten point five, and he takes it yeah. because he's still the highest paid defenseman, and so so he's not he's not over overly worried about that, you know. I mean, I get uh, it. It's like the quarterback contract thing. Ever since Elway took his big contract back then, it's like every single quarterback, the next big contract is the next big has contract. to be the highest. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, if, only, you're, if you're top end, and in this yeah, case, yeah. Eric Carlson is top end. He's elite. He's top yeah, five. Yeah. He's top three. Whatever you want to put him in. So, like, I understand it from that from those metrics. You know, it just fucking sucks. That's just, <laughs> I, just for okay. the record. Fair enough. Fair enough. And and the only reason why that hasn't been beat since then is, uh, um, you know, I think it partly has been the pandemic. Obviously, depressing values. Like if you look at like a a Peter Angelo when he hits the open market in the middle of COVID, right? And that yeah. I think affected affected evaluations of stuff. Um, but I think that's a big, and also to a lot of the big defensemen that have signed to big contracts over the last few years, um, a lot of them haven't been UFA types, right? Adam Fox's, yeah. McAvoy's, whatever. They've been RFA, so. Their contracts are, yeah, they're not going to be as high anyway. But, uh, but anyway, though, so I'm going to keep defending. I think Cal McCarr is going to be like a $13 million defense. Right. Right. When we get there, right. Yeah. When we get there, when we get to UFA and the cap is, should be, uh, going up again. Um, but anyway, so I, I, I can, I, I can defend this one. Actually, the Carlson one, I have easier time defending than Couture and for sure Canes. So, um, uh, yeah. Um, so that's, 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 that's my, my opinion on it. And, you know, again, I'd like to hear what you guys think, but, but again, though, really though, if we're going to, uh, a, a, a debate about it though, like, no, look at the time again, look at the time. Don't, don't give me the last three years. What's happened. I know what I, I can see the same thing you have, but, uh, at the time the deal was made, uh, a lot of people were happy about it. There was some fear, obviously, because of the length, the amount, and the age, and the injury. So I'm not denying that there were some question marks with it. But um, I think a lot of people were happy with it, too, because they saw you know, how great Eric Carlson could be 
uh, you know, for a couple months there in the 2018-19 season. And so anyway, you know, looking over all these contracts, you know, again, the only huge mistake I see here was Kane and the term uh, and the term with Kane just because of the the various character sort of issues that we had in Winnipeg and Buffalo. Uh, but besides that, though, you know, I don't love the Couture one because, I, like I said, Couture was a, a good player, but not a kind of a great player. Uh, and besides that, you know, I I I. I don't want to make this this uh, this uh, this pod about defending Doug. And we're actually, we're going to get to something that I think is interesting, where um, it is not so uh, so much defending Doug, but I can defend these contracts. So I really can, even though they are a big part of why the Sharks have been bad the last three years. Uh, they just didn't work out, basically. Gotcha. And yeah, that's that's my that's my opinion of it. Uh, but at the time they were signed, most of them I think were quite reasonable. Um, and one thing I do want to add before I have a couple more topics to get into, um, but, and, and I'm going to get into, I think the main culprit for why the sharks have fallen apart, but I do want to put in a quick word about Joe Pavelski, um, and you know, the debate about Pavelski versus Kane or Pavelski versus Carlson. And again, obviously, like if you look at in hindsight, Joe Pavelski has worked out wonderfully for Dallas. Um, you would take Joe Pavelski over Evander Kane and Eric Carlson any day of the week over the last three years, um, based on on the ice production and off the ice and whatever, right? There's no no question about it. You know, uh, you want to go 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 back in time. Um, yes, you know, uh, the Sharks should have re-signed Joe Pavelski, obviously, right? But this isn't what this podcast is about. Uh, these, that's revisionist. You know, we got to look at the time, right? And the argument for Kane versus Pavelski um, is obviously the age thing, right? The age thing. And I would say that the argument shouldn't be about Kane versus Pavelski. It's, the argument is really more about, okay, let Evander walk because you don't want to give a, give that guy seven years uh, because you don't trust that he's going to be, he's, you know, he just, well, just exactly what happened, right. Uh, that the guy's not going to self-sabotage basically, uh, you know, a, a good thing, a good contract in San Jose, which is his own behaviors. Right. Uh, you don't give it to Joe Pavelski too. Because Joe Pavelski again was in his mid thirties when he was UFA and, that's just that. That's a risk. Jovelski, obviously, it's worked out wonderfully, right? Good for him. Good for Dallas, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, right? And Joe was Joe deserves to do. Joe's hardworking model player on and off the ice, great leader, right? But I would say the argument there is not between Pavelski versus Kane, but it's really uh, it's it's uh, it's uh, putting that money that 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 you gave to Kane and didn't give to Pavelski and put it somewhere else. Put it to a younger forward that doesn't have the the off the ice issues that Evander Kane had back then, and that reared obviously had reared its head, uh, you know, over the last year or so. Uh, give it to somebody else. I don't know who, uh, but I had to look into that. But don't give it to don't give it to Evander. Don't give it to Joe because Joe was an older player, right? So then the next argument the Sharks fans often talk about is uh, Pavelski versus Carlson because that was the same summer, right? But again, we talk about the payoff of a player, right? Um, you talk about the ceiling of a player. And again, I said this in 2019. So, you know, this is not me changing my tune. Like, I'm not going to change it. Like, in the summer of 2019, you look at the ceiling of the Sharks with Joe Pavelski. 
even Joe Pavelski staying good and staying a 35 goal scorer or the selling of the Sharks with Eric Carlson. Eric Carlson played Norris Trophy hockey. What makes your team better? If, if you tell me, Joe Pavelski, you're lying. I mean, I know Joe's a great leader, captain of the team. I know that that counts for a lot. But the ceiling of – why did the Sharks even trade for Eric Carlson? It's because they wanted to take a second-round-ish Sharks team, right? I think the team – the Sharks had lost in the second round, uh, 2018, 2017. They lost in the first round, right? Uh, so – or no, they lost in the second round in 20 – I actually don't, don't, don't recall that. Uh, let me see. I might be mixing things up a little bit. Uh, yeah, actually, they lost in the second round in 2018 too, right? They swept Anaheim and then – and Edmonton, is that right? I think that's right. Or maybe I'm mixing, maybe I'm kind of conflating things. Or no, they swept Anaheim in 28. Okay. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Sharks like, You're really going to make me do this right now? Yeah, the Sharks didn't make it far. So so it doesn't really matter. So, so um, the point is that Joe Pavelski made his version of the Sharks team. You know, he was a great captain, great scorer. Um they 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 were they were a second roundish team, a good team, right? But they yeah. needed something else. And they needed the you best can argue, offensive defenseman in the NHL. <laughs> you can argue that, and well, hey, you know, Doug went for John Tavares first, right? But you can argue that that maybe it shouldn't have been Carlson; it should have been somebody else. But the point is that they needed somebody else to to try to carry the Sharks over the top in 2018-19 and they tried with Tavares and then they landed on Carlson uh, but to me the Pavelski versus Carlson debate is such a non-debate because we're talking about a at the time a generational all-decade uh, future Hall of Famer versus yes a heart and soul player but really a very, very good player, very, very good player, but not a surefire Hall of Famer, not uh, not a team-altering kind of guy. And again, love Joe Pavelski and not taking away any of the, the intangibles he brings, right, the leadership stuff, right? Um, but there's no argument there. And, and if you want to argue it, then you're arguing purely on hindsight. Yeah. You know, you could have predicted his production, then you would have been called a lunatic. Right. Or, well, you'd, you'd be proven to be a genius if you had somehow decided to let Kane walk, let Eric Carlson walk, and just sign Joe Pavelski, you know. Um, but at the time, though, people were like, the hell are you doing? Okay, let's, let's put it a different way, okay? Uh, I'll, and this, this, this will be the way I leave off this conversation. It's the summer of 2019. Joe Pavelski is, I think, three years older or four. No, wait, he's like five years older than Eric Carlson at that point anyway. So that, that's another factor, right? But yeah, put Joe Pavelski's three best years next to Eric Carlson's three best years. Who are you signing? I'll take the guy who has more points for Well, take the... Take take the the Norris Trophy, the two time Norris Trophy winner, and yes, you know more risk, more years, injuries. I I get all that, you know, but there's no, it's a it's a it's 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 a no brainer, really, you know, like which guy, uh, is, you know, is gonna take you uh, farther if he is right, and it's Eric Carlson any day of the week. So okay, yeah. so I want to move on. I want to get to a couple more big points, um, and you know, so I'm not talking forever here, so. 
one thing that I have mentioned before, and I mentioned it in that article um, uh, about the, the Sharks giving out longer contracts. Uh, again, the title of that one is uh, six, since 2016, Doug Wilson has been handing out longer contracts to older players. So, um I, I, I wondered if if part of the reason why Doug was more open to handing out these contracts over the last few years is because of the kind of the success that they had with Patrick Marlowe and Joe Thornton and Joe Bavelski, you know, guys that aged pretty well into their 30s. Um, and I wondered if the Sharks thought they had some sort of like formula or something right and this is something i'm gonna dig into more but i found this really interesting quote i'm not gonna get too deep into it but i think i just want to bring this up and dig into it more in the future and it's from the athletic june 2018 it's uh the the uh title is sharks mailbag uh with logan couture's extension coming what about joe pavelski and so the quote is this is something i think doug wilson said someone asked them about I guess signing uh, older players and uh, Doug Wilson says, and, uh, and I quote, I'm quoting now from the article in our position. We look at players that have certain ingredients or makeups to them that we think can allow them to sustain and play a long time. Are they symmetrical? Are they healthy? Are they great skaters? Do they think the game really well? Do they live a good life? Do they not have an injury history? You factor all that into your decision-making. The really high-end good players often can play a long time. That's the nature of this game. Like our guys, look at Joe Thornton. Look at Patrick Marlowe. If they truly love the game, they put the work in, they can play a long time. Uh, let me see. I don't want to read off the whole quote, but I think that gives you a sense that the Sharks maybe thought that they had some kind of formula for this. So that's why you give Lassick eight years, you give Couture eight years, you give Burns eight years. Um, I will end up actually one, one, one last part of this quote that's interesting. Um, so it's a combination. Character, love of the game, and yes, how you play the game. Power forwards are like fullbacks. The punishment of that. A fullback has the shortest career of anybody in the NFL. Power forwards, often the same thing. Look at Mike Ricci. He just fell off because of the accumulation of injuries. He wasn't a naturally great skater. Loved the game and injuries caught up with him. So anyway, this is from uh, June 2018. Really a perfect timing. You know, this is before Eric, just before Eric Carlson. Uh, this is right after they, they signed Evander Kane, uh, re-signed Evander Kane. They're about to extend Logan Couture. Uh, things are still looking pretty peachy keen in Sharks line overall, though. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, it's a really interesting quote, though. And so I think that's something to dig into more. Ask Doug uh, if he, you know, hopefully Doug comes back at good health and is, and you know, can can answer our questions and, and talk Sharks with us again soon. Um, and so, yeah, I, I want to explore that with them. But anyway, with that, water break. <laughs> I'm just be using these water break timestamps. <laughs> good stuff okay so let's get to the last part of what we're talking about and this is i think the main reason why today's sharks are bad <clears throat> yeah the contracts don't help uh but 
if you have these contracts and you have uh, Brent Burns playing, you know, we talked about this a lot, right? But like, you know, Brent Burns living up to like maybe three quarters of his contract value. Logan Tour about the same thing. Eric Carlson living up to three quarters, two thirds of his contract value, right? Uh, Vlasic, let's not discuss him, you know, not close, but okay. Vlasic is your one like awful, awful contract. Presume that Evander Kane is off the books. We have no idea about that right now. So we can uh, leave that for another time. But for what it's worth on the ice stuff, Evander Kane is scoring a lot of goals in Edmonton. And so um, he's, he's productive for sure. So the main reason why today's Sharks are, are bad is how they drafted after 2012. And I, uh, 2012 is sort of my demarcation point because that's probably San Jose's really last great draft. Uh, the first two picks of that draft were Tomas Turtle and Chris Tierney. And after that, it doesn't really matter who went after that. I think the Oakland Ryan went in that draft too. But you start your draft with drafting a future number one center and a future number three center. You're in pretty good shape. You don't, you know, you can you can you can go home after that. <laughs> yeah. Um, everything else is a wash. Yeah, everything else is gravy. You know, anything else you get out of that draft. So anyway. 2013 is where it goes south. Uh, they bomb with their first pick in in, in Miracle Mueller. Um, and then nobody else from that draft plays any NHL games, which is uh which is yeah, pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, nobody. And let's just rattle off some of these names just to just to uh, uh bring back some of the memories here. So after Miracle Mueller, uh Gabriel Abudro, and then they do they didn't have a third round pick, so they go all the way to the fourth round. Uh Fredwick Bergvig. Uh, Michael Brodzinski, uh, Johnny's brother, uh, Gage Osmus, and then a couple seventh rounders here, Jake Jackson, uh, Emil Gallimoff. Now, the drafts after this aren't as bad, but they're still uh, they're still pretty rough, though. So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, let, let's get, let me get to the larger point of all this. So, when you talk to Doug and Doug Wilson Jr., you know, don't point to picking late over the last number of years. And, you know, that's why the Sharks, you know, because the Sharks are so good then, right? So they often pick late. And now they're paying the piper for that. And that's obviously not wrong. You can't really argue that. You know, you, you get better players early in the draft, especially in the first round, right? There's no there's no science to that. That's just That's just the fact of the matter, right? But what's interesting, though, is that some good teams from back then excelled at drafting then. And that's why they're still good today. And so I picked the, the 2013 through 16 drafts as, as the time period I'm going to focus on for three, we, three reasons. Okay, So one, obviously, the Sharks were still really good then. They had one missed playoff year, but they were still, they barely missed that year. And otherwise, you know, made it to the cup final. Uh, so this is still a, a high time in Sharks history. Okay. So the other reason why I'm picking the two, 2013 to 2016 drafts is that these are the layer of players who are in their mid-20s now. And these are the ones who should be carrying your franchise forward uh, if an Eric Carlson declines a little bit or Brent Burns or a Logan Couture. Okay, and so the last reason why 2013-16 is my examination point is because 2017 is when Doug Wilson Jr. took over uh, the kind of or became the 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 lead voice on drafts for the Sharks, 
And by all industry accounts, you know, we've had Doug on the podcast. You know, he's good at his job regardless of his name. I know people obviously, you know, like to point at that and talk about nepotism or whatever. But everyone I've talked to, he's good at his job. And anyway, too, uh, we can't really judge his drafts yet for maybe another year or two. Maybe you could judge a 2017 already. We're kind of coming to that point. But still, though, 2013-16 is really the, the drought period. And that's those are the players that the Sharks need right now that they don't have. And so anyway, um, <clears throat> I did some kind of rough and dirty research. And you guys can tell me if there's a better methodology. But look, we, I got to jump on this podcast. And this is basically a, a fresh article for me that I need to prepare for every week. And so, you know, I, I didn't I didn't uh, uh, look at this like as thoroughly as I like to. Maybe I'll do it over the summer. Or if you guys have a better kind of uh, methodology to to uh, to under on, you know, to, to try, let me know. I, I will explore it. Hell, you know, I will pay you to explore it for me if you have something more interesting. So anyway, I looked at the top 10 teams from the 2012-13 season to 2015-16 in terms of points percentage. Okay. And the Sharks, even in their missed playoff year, with their missed playoff year, were in that top 10. Then I looked at how many NHL games that they got from their picks. Because, you know, when you draft late, you got to draft right, right? And so I then averaged the number of games that they eat, that they got, the teams got from each draft pick that they had from 2013-16. So just for example, just really rough math. Like if the team got a thousand NHL games from their 25 draft picks in these, in these drafts, right? Then you know uh, how many draft, how many how many angel games you get from each draft pick. So does, does that make sense, Nick? Is that a yeah yeah? Am no, I explaining right? I'm Great. following okay. here. Okay, perfect. So okay, so let's get to the meat of this. All right, so let's go through one through ten. Uh, so the best drafting team to the worst, and we'll talk about some of the impact players that each team drafted. Uh, because obviously it's not just about getting games from guys, angel games from guys. It's also about drafting stars, impact players. And you're going to be shocked by who is number one on this list, actually, considering how much uh, they got memed and actually still get memed and, uh, and, you know, and clowned on for the 2015 draft. And number one is Boston. Uh, Boston averages uh, averaged 100, or this is up to March 8th, so a couple days ago here. So uh, they they have 105.8 games per pick. Oh, okay, I'm going to round up to make it easy. 106 games per pick. This is of 27 draft picks that they had from 2013-16. And some of the impact players that they got from here, Pasternak, McAvoy, Brandon Carlo, and Ryan Lindgren. And for each team, I'm going to kind of rattle off their top three picks kind of from there. I gave Boston a fourth one here, but anyway, the point it. here. Yeah, it's it, it was a pretty good stretch of drafts. So just think about this, though, right? So with the late pick, right, they had they, they picked uh, Pasternak in the 20s. They picked McAvoy, number 14. They got a elite winger, true elite winger, and a number one defenseman with their mid-late round picks. And actually, you know, imagine if they had drafted a Barzo, Connor, or Thomas Shabbat instead of uh, Zorbro, DeBrusque, or Sinchin in the 2015 draft. 
Just imagine that. Just imagine how crazy that 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 uh, that that this this will look and how good Boston would be. But the point though is that as much as Boston is killed for 2015, they were killing it. They were doing great otherwise. You know, again, Pasternak, McAvoy, Carlo, and they got a lot of games out of guys too. Guys, I don't even mention here like Danton Heinen, uh, Daniel Vladar. You know, backup goalie in Calgary. There's a lot of guys here that have played pretty good number of games, you know, or like are good role players or whatnot, right? Yeah. Okay. So next is Anaheim. And Anaheim is at 103 games per draft pick, uh, 23 draft picks in that time frame. Uh, so that's a good number, but obviously Anaheim has not been as consistently good as Boston. Part of it is that they drafted a lot of guys who could play, but they didn't draft as like, they didn't draft a true number one defenseman. They didn't draft a true number one forward or top line forward. So their impact players here, in my opinion, are Shea Theodore, who they didn't keep, which is another problem. Uh, Troy Terry, who uh, actually struggled for right for most of the first few years and has finally emerged this year. And then Brandon Montour. So this is not as impressive uh they got games from guys. It's a very deep list. If you look at who Anaheim drafted in his time period, uh, Nick Ritchie, uh, a lot of guys who played a lot of games, Marcus Pedersen. Um, so a lot of guys who played games, but um, not, not David Poster, not, not Charlie McAvoy. So this explains why Anaheim has gone through some rough years. And of course, now they're on the upswing with Zegras and Terry and guys like that. Okay, though. Uh, Anaheim, by the way, had the best record uh, of all the teams in NHL from 20, uh, 2012-13 to uh, 2015-16. So anyway, just want to add, throw that in there. Okay, so next, uh, next on our list here is Montreal. And Montreal is at 70, 72 games uh, per draft pick. So it's a huge drop-off from Boston, Anaheim to Montreal. And the problem with Montreal, even though they're third on this list, is that if you look at their impact guys, there's only one true impact guy on this list. Uh, it's Mikhail Sergachev, who they traded. Uh, for Druin, uh, and then it's uh, Arturi Lekkinen, good role player, but a role player, and Jake Evans. It's that was my pick uh, for their third best player of this group. But there was also, also Victor Mete, who they waived. Uh, you know, they drafted again a number of guys who played games, but but uh, they uh, they didn't draft high end guys. And, all, and also, too, Montreal has been you know up and down right over the last few years. Okay, next on our list is Washington. And Washington is at 70 games per draft pick. 70 games per draft pick. And this is for 23 picks from 2013-16 uh, drafts. And their best players actually aren't that impressive. It's uh, Barakovsky, Vrana, and I picked the Samsonov, or Samsonov, the goalie, who's been up and down for them. But the reason why Washington is still good and consistently good is unlike the Sharks, uh, so Boston, okay, let's go back to Boston really quick. Boston is good because Boston, basically, they added uh, a young elite winger and a young elite defenseman with drafting late. Washington stayed good besides, uh, despite not like kill, not like outstanding drafting because their core has stayed strong, right? Alex Ovechkin is 36 and still going strong. John Carlson, Nicholas Backstrom, you know, um, and, you know, since, uh, you know, since this time frame, you know, have been very, very good players, you know, elite players for the most part, right? And so that's why Washington has stayed, has stayed consistently uh, a cup contender and the Sharks haven't because guys have fallen off for the Sharks, obviously, Eric Carlson and Vlasic and whatnot, right? So, okay. This is actually my most interesting one, actually. So St. Louis is at just 69 um, 
excuse me, uh, just at 69 uh, games per draft pick. They had 28 picks in his, in his time frame. Um, St. Louis, uh, uh, the, their impact players here are uh, Jordan Cairo, uh, Yvonne Barbashev, and Vince Dunn. This is not actually that deep of looking a list. Though Barbashev, though, is having a pretty good season. People don't know that. He has 40 points, I think, uh, this year. Um but one thing that St. Louis ha did do is they drafted a lot of guys who could play, uh, guys who are on this list, you know, Husso, William Carrier, Robbie Fabry, who would have had a better career if he didn't get hurt. But how has St. Louis stayed good, right? I was really curious about this. So I just took a quick look at uh, their 2015-16 team. And, you know, let's let's take a quick look together and we'll just run over some of the names. They did something really, really interesting. And I don't know if Doug Armstrong has gotten enough credit for this. Uh, maybe he has, you know, because I don't follow St. Louis closely. So so uh, so I, I wonder, Nick, you can answer this question for me, too, if Doug Armstrong has received a ton of credit for this. But what Doug Armstrong has done, actually, is that Doug Armstrong, more than anybody that I see here, uh, has been flexible. He's done the bill belichick thing he's gotten rid of guys early um like if you look at 2015-16 the key guys on this roster right uh paul stastny now paul stastny you remember paul stastny was 30 in this season but stastny a couple years later in 2018 the st louis actually kind of shocked the hockey road when they traded paul stastny to winnipeg uh for a first round pick and because at the time the blues were in the thick of the playoff race and so people are like, why would you trade Paul Stastny away? He's still a really good player. Uh, he's, you know, still an important contributor to your team. You're in the playoffs. I think the Blues were in the playoffs at the time. Um, and they basically kind of white flagged it, right? But if you look deeper at it, though, Paul Stastny was 32. He was about to be a UFA. Blues weren't going to be able to afford him. The Blues weren't a high end. Like, they were going to be in the playoffs, but they weren't going to, you know, uh, they weren't looked at as a team that was going to, you know, be a cup favorite, right, uh, in 2017-18. Oh, actually, they just missed the playoffs. So they were in the thick of it, but they had 94 points that year, but they just missed it. So that must enter the calculation too, right? But instead of trying for the playoffs and trying to be your eighth, seventh seed, um, they traded Paul Stassing off for a first-round pick. Okay, 2015-16 Blues team. David Backus, 31, right? He's the captain of the team, I believe. Heart and soul guy. He's a guy that a lot of fans, you know, a lot of people would say, well, you got to sign that guy because that guy's your captain, you know? And he's a two-way ace, whatever, right? Excuse me. Doug Armstrong lets Backus walk in the offseason, actually, to Boston as a free agent. And that was one of the worst free agent signings, you know, in, in recent NHL history. One of the worst free agent signings in Boston Bruins history. I bet you that Don Sweeney would take that one back in a second. Okay, so let's get somebody, another big name from this year. Alex Petrangelo, just 26 back then, right? What did uh, Doug Armstrong do uh, in the offseason of 2020? He let Petrangelo walk and go to, go to Vegas. Um, yeah, he, uh, he's definitely got balls. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a flexibility here that I don't know. I mean, is this something that that you that you've 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 heard Armstrong given credit for? Because this seems very singular, actually. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know NHL. of anyone who has allowed key players to go. I mean, he's also made big time acquisitions as well. Right. I mean, Ryan O'Reilly. I mean, he's just taking his shots as well as. Like you said, taking that um, that Belichick approach on his roster, where he would rather get the haul and improve maybe a year or two later, or with, let a Bacchus or Peter Angelo go in free agency, 
Yeah, that's just right. I mean, it's ballsy, but it's working. Yeah, and then it's not like he doesn't sign guys, right? The same summer that Pedro Angelo walks, uh, they signed Tori Krug, who has been a good player for them, right? Not yeah. you know as good all around, but still impactful player. Uh, you know they 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 let they they let a back is uh, a walk, but then they trade for another two way guy that you mentioned and Ryan O'Reilly, right? A couple you know eventually a couple years later, right? Uh, but there's something here though that that I think is maybe underrated or underlooked with him. I don't know. Maybe it, it has been talked about because I don't follow the Blues closely, but I I just find this really interesting though. It just it just not something that 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 I see. Well, obviously the Sharks didn't do it, right? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So uh, so anyway, so how St. Louis stayed good? Uh, they've been flexible and they've signed. You know, obviously they've signed guys, but uh, you know, Tory Krug's a little cheaper than Peter Angelo, a little younger too, I believe. Right when 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 yeah. uh, when when uh, when 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 he got signed, and so it's just little little things like that. You know, um, uh, um, I think have helped them. You know, flexibility. But also, you know, making the right decisions with that flexibility have kept them uh, consistent. Even though they've been first round and out team the last couple of years, yeah, you know what? There's still been good and contender. They are once again, you know, like they're not anyone's favorite contender. But it wouldn't shock anybody if they, you know, they came out of the West. They are a good team. They're a very deep forward group uh, this year. They have a pretty good looking team this year. So, uh, so yeah. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give uh, St. Louis a uh, kind of kind of a kind of a bit of a props because even though. Their drafting hasn't been like outstanding. Uh, they've they've been able to 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 stay strong uh, just because of uh, I guess uh, yeah uh, balls basically like you say right and then also too uh, picking up the right guys to replace the guys uh, who have who have walked. Yeah. Um, so yeah okay so let's uh, move on to the to the next team here and uh and yeah if you're waiting for san jose to come up on this list it's going to be a little while yet all right <laughs> and there's a reason why so uh okay so pittsburgh pittsburgh is at 66 games uh per draft pick uh, 21 draft picks and their top three players are Genso, uh tristan jari and uh, kasper kapanen and okay so this is an outstanding though uh i want to give Pittsburgh credit that they found a top winger i don't know if Getzo is an elite elite guy but he is a first line winger for sure and they found a starting goalie here so this is pretty good right and of course the key thing with pittsburgh is like washington their core has aged and still been elite players crosby malkin latang and so that's pretty cut and dry of why pittsburgh has remained a power consistently strong over the years uh la Okay, so L.A., uh, this was, again, this is when L.A. was good, right? And so they didn't draft so well, though. So 59 games per draft pick, uh, over 26 picks. And their impact players here are Kempe, uh, Chernak, and Matt Roy. So not not the most, yeah, not the most intimidating group. And so there's a reason why L.A. went through those really tough years, right, which got them Byfield and Turricot and all those guys, right, uh, because they didn't draft well, when they were still strong. So they couldn't, they couldn't supplement Kopitar and Dowdy and all that stuff. Right. In, in those kind of lean years that they had. So, okay. Uh, let's go to Chicago. Uh, this is eighth on our list. Okay. Eighth on our list. Uh, and Chicago was at 55 games per draft pick. And Chicago actually had a lot of picks. They had 33 picks. Um, so this is kind of disappointing because they just, you know, missed on a lot of their picks. And the only true impact player here is Alex DePrinkett. And the other couple of players that have been pretty good, uh, Ryan Hartman and Nick Schmaltz. 
So, yeah, so this is part of the reason why Chicago has fallen off because they weren't able to support uh, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves and Duncan Keith, and Taves and, and Keith fell off a bit. Uh, okay, so now, number nine, we're going to get to San Jose, finally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and San Jose is a very weak 49 games per draft pick uh, from 2013-16 all cumulative. Yeah, 28 picks, actually, which I think is – the second most of this group. Yeah, second most in this group. Uh, tied with St. Louis for second, and Chicago had 33, like I said. And they've drafted one true impact player. That's Timo Meyer. And besides that, their next two players, it's debatable who number three is, but uh, Kevin LeBanc is the clear number two. And then I picked Rudolph Balzers. Uh, Noel Gregor's on here, can still do something, but, you know, uh, maybe there might be somebody else on there that might be an argument, but... Uh, Meyer, LeBanc, and Balzers. Balzers is not a very strong addition to this list. I know Balzers has been okay for the Sharks, but, you know, let's be real here, okay? So, okay. So, finally, let's look at the last team on this list, right? And uh, when you look at the number of games they've got out of their guys, 45 games per draft pick out of 25 picks, the New York Rangers, you think this is devastating. But let's look at who they drafted. They drafted Shesterkin, who is the best goal in the world right now arguably they drafted uh Buchenovic, who is not an elite player but a good good scoring guy right good uh good 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 uh yeah uh and he was uh, traded to the blues so he was traded to the blues yeah so that's that helps the blues cause of course and anthony duclair who has quietly put together a pretty nice season on a great team in florida so yeah. if even if you just compare this to san jose's group right of uh you know shesterkin Buchenovic, and duclair you you would take that over meyer LeBanc, and ball and and Balsers. No offense to Timo Meyer, who is, you know, up there right now, who's a first line winger, but uh you take Shesterkin over over him. You take Bucenovic over LeBanc easily, and Dipkar and Balsers, no argument, not no question mark there either. And so, you know, that, that that goes to the point of San Jose has been both weak and getting games from guys, you know, getting guys who are good third, fourth line, guys who can contribute in roles, right? uh you know uh you know in as role players but they've also been weak in impact players too you look at the top of the list with boston right uh with uh pasternak and mcavoy and you look at even the rangers at the bottom of the list where they got just just yeah. and so anyway I, I think this is the real reason why the sharks haven't been good because they have not been able to compensate for any decline that Burns had or Carlson had, they basically were relying on those big contracts to be great players still to keep carrying the Sharks, basically. And and they did not have any kind of adjustment or any kind of, like I said, compensation for, for decline from those guys, not from the farm system, at least. Yeah. I mean, Sharks and, have been notoriously criticized for how puddle-like their farm pool has been. Right, and, and that's the period I think that really killed them because if you go back to 2012, and I, I already mentioned Hurdle and, and Tierney uh, as you know as terrific Sharks picks. And actually, I believe I took a rough look at it before, that before 2012, the Sharks were probably considered a very good drafting team, actually. Uh, I'm just going to throw out a couple of draft picks really quickly just to give you an example. Like, you know, 2011, they didn't draft any stars, but they got games out of Nieto, Crawley, DeMello, right? Even call him yeah. Blackwell, right? So you got some games there. 2010, there's only one key pick, but he's had a good career, Charlie Coyle. 
2009 was a rough draft, so let's throw that one out. 2008, they did great in the late rounds with Tommy Wingles and Jason Demers. 2007 was one of the best Sharks drafts, maybe the best Sharks draft in history. Logan Couture and then Nick Benino and Justin Braun. I don't want to go yeah. back to all the Sharks drafts, but just a rough look, right? Yeah. You can see that 2007 to 2012, that this it seems like a still a pretty good drafting Sharks team overall, right? Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, you know, and so you know, good mix of impact players like Hurdle and and uh, Couture, and good support players, good third fourth line types like Nieto, Tierney, uh, Justin Braun as your middle pairing defenseman, Tommy Wingos, the mayor, or whatever, right? So okay, so yeah, so let's let's kind of wrap this up, but I, I think that's sort of the underrated thing of that's the thing that is worth a deeper examination. We don't have time on this podcast, but that's the thing to wonder about. And I think that that's that actually I wonder if that led to uh, Doug Wilson Jr. taking over because for me, there are things that they were seeing that was going wrong with the drafting, you know, trends that weren't being followed. I'm just, you know, it's just hypothetical now that I'm talking about. But anyway, um, I, that's 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 that I think that's worth examining right there. Right. But. Anyway, so let's just go back. Let's close up with a question now. You know, should Doug Wilson be fired? And again, I want to say this with as much sensitivity as possible to his situation. I'm not trying to kick a guy when he's down. You know, I hope Doug is right and right as rain and healthy. And uh, I am definitely not rooting for the guy to be fired or anything like that. You know, um, you know, not not personal. You know, but the question mark is then like, you know, should Doug pay basically for the last three years of what's happened with the Sharks? And if you look purely in hindsight, obviously, like anyone who says differently is, is, you know, is, uh, you know, yeah, is being way too kind. Because if you look in hindsight, most of the big moves have backfired. Yeah. Um, trying to think hard if any of the big moves have not backfired, actually. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> I think that answer is no. Yeah, I don't think so, right? Any of the big, big moves, right? They, he's done a good job with some of the quiet things, uh, the you know the the bear bond the the bear bond off for Suomelo, like some of the small deals. You know, maybe he has drafted well, which is the key the key element, right? That I think that may have been addressed with you know with with hire, with uh, putting Doug Wilson kind of uh, in charge of it, right? But if you just look at hindsight, the results, uh, the big the big swings. Um, they were understandable at the time, but have they worked out? They have not worked out, not at all. So, um, but we don't look, we're not looking at it that way. We're looking at it at the time. Did it make sense? And that's why Doug Wilson still has a job because I, I wager and Jonathan Becker alluded to it when we talked to Becker a couple weeks ago, that Hasa Plotner is a patient guy. Hasa Plotner is not a guy that, you know, Hasa Plotner is a guy that is able to separate like what made sense at the time and what has happened. And so I think that makes sense why Doug Wilson still has a job because um, if you look at it that way, if you look at like his moves at the time, most of them made sense. You know, there are things I questioned, but most of them made sense. And we can talk, debate this, you know, but understandable for the most part. The Carlson trade, I find very understandable. Um, there is obviously some randomness, randomness in the draft, and even looking at the draft so hard is a little bit of just hindsight-ish kind of look too, right? But that's been the biggest problem, actually, in my opinion, not the contracts, like I said. And so, should he be let go? Well, I think a lot of a lot of organizations probably would let him go because 
a lot of organizations are, you know, what have you done for me lately and whatnot. But I think in this case, though, with this ownership, it's not a mediocrity or you know, a lot of people are like, oh, Hustle doesn't care. Hustle doesn't this or that. I think it's more that Hustle partner, my perception is that he is a patient person and he sees the balance of what Doug Wilson has done. And it's been good. Uh, and no one can argue that. Right. And the last three years, I, I'm guessing that he takes as everything has not worked out, but I understood what Doug was doing. And He's so that's why, man. yeah. And so that's why Doug Wilson still has a job. So this is my take on it. Okay. So it's not that the franchise is like lurching. No one's paying attention. No one cares. Um, I think that it is again, that uh, that's Hasso, you know, taking Doug on the balance and giving him a long, long leash to fix this. And so we're going to, I just want to close up with, with these, this, uh, these thoughts. So because I've been talking forever and it's past one and I apologize, Nick, I know it's very late for you. Uh, yeah. Should have, uh, should have just made this a, its own podcast. So <laughs> no news or whatever, but, uh, anyway, though, um, yeah, I get into some of these re- research kind of, uh, 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 dives, like just with the, the picks, the draft picks and stuff. Right. I found it so fascinating that, that I can, you know, prove that what we all kind of thought kind of that the Sharks drafts were bad and you can compare it to even teams that were good from back then. And they're even bad compared to the teams that were good. (laughs) So, you know, you can't really use that excuse to some degree because, you know, yeah, the, the, all, a lot of these good teams have done better, you know, even with the, you know, the, the shitty draft positions, late draft positions and all that. But anyway, Let's close up then. So Doug Wilson, I, I believe, has a very long leash. He will not be fired. Hopefully he's healthy. He comes back and he's going to get it. And look, he's going to come back. And so hopefully he fixes this. You know, he's going to be your guy. You know, I that's what I think. I, I, don't, uh, I, I don't I don't I don't I don't think it's going to be a blowout in the front office, no matter what happens this year. My guess right now. OK, so what can Doug do now? So let's focus on not what the fans want, not what, you know, people may think should happen, but what is probably you know who's going to be in charge and you know how they can fix it so that's where we come to doug wilson's dilemma right that he can try to rebuild like a lot of people want or work with what he has and both we've talked about this a lot so i don't want to go too hard into this but rebuilding is not as easy as fans think it is obviously as we talked about and working with what he has is actually more reasonable than people think because of again the cost of of rebuilding of getting rid of eric carlson's contract mark edward of contract etc etc we talked about so much i don't want to 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 get into too too hard but basically that's his question mark right and it appears like he's opting to work with what he has which is uh you know, uh, why they're talking about re-signing Thomas Hurdle, right? Um, so I pointed out the draft as problematic for the Sharks. But they are drafting differently, right? Uh, they put in Doug Wilson Jr. in 2017. Uh, there's been a clear emphasis on skill forwards. Um, they have moved forward with sort of the rest of the league, right? The 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 big lurching, slowish defensemen. They don't draft those anymore. No, I mean, a lot of people don't anymore, but the Sharks definitely have moved away from that. So they are drafting differently. So we'll see what the fruits are of these drafts, you know, the Bordelos, the Gushins, whatever, right? If they pay off quicker, sooner, and better than the Sharks 2013-16. If they don't, then 
Doug Wilson will get fired. And there's going to be a point where it's too much. And so if Wilson Jr.'s drafts don't work out, then, yeah, the Sharks are in, you know, in uh, in a going to be bad for a long, long, longer time than we suspected, you know, or we they hope, right? But they are trying yeah. to draft differently. So, you know, we'll see how that all plays out. A cursory look at the Sharks draft since uh, Wilson Jr. took took over. The 2017 draft actually looks phenomenal. It's just that they traded Norris off for Carlson. But uh, Norris and Ferraro is a very strong start to a draft. Uh, 2018 is still up in the air. We have Ryan Merkley, Jasper Weatherby, John Leonard still up in the air. Hard to judge. 2019, obviously. Then we're talking about drafts that's really hard to judge, right? 2020, 2021. So hard to judge those drafts. So. Uh, no, they so, drafted William Eklund. It was a home run. We've already <laughs> okay. discussed this. We have discussed this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, 2017 is going to be a clear win already. Uh, just you know, just with the career tracks that Norris and Faro are setting up for, right? Even if the guys get hurt or whatever, right? Norris is clearly a top six center. Faro is a top four defenseman, and you hit that with your first two picks of your draft. You know, Doug Wilson Jr. So, you know, outstanding job there. Uh, 2018 is very much up in the air, obviously. So we'll see about that. Uh, so anyway, what can Doug do now to close out? So up to now until, uh, until the possible re-signing of Tomas Hurdle, uh, they've been really quiet actually since Eric Carlson, right? We talked about this a lot, that the biggest move they made since Eric Carlson is signing Nick Bonino as a free agent and trading a second round pick for Aiden Hill, which you know, is like the one time they traded like a decentish pick out. They sent a decentish pick out. It hasn't worked out, but so the only time they sent sent one out in the last couple of years. They've mostly been adding picks and adding prospects and whatnot, right? So they've been pretty quiet since then. Uh, I actually thought about this a little bit recently that like the year the Sharks are having right now, uh, if they end up this way, like they end up with a like 80-ish points or whatever, right? Which they're on pace for now, I think, right? This is the year that they were hoping to have actually in 2019-20. Then they could have been like, yeah, it's a step back year, but like, look at like, you know, uh, you know, you, you know, we, we, we're not that far out of it. Uh, we have some young guys coming, coming up now, you know, in our system. That's so basically, I don't know how to put it, but basically like, it's almost like the Sharks took two years off kind of <laughs> almost, right? Just to use Doug Wilson's words to reset, to replenish, whatever, right? And now we're two years later. It's like Marvel, you know, the snap, right? And it's two years later, hey, well, hey, Eric Carlson still can play a little bit. Great. Logan Latour's not awful. Brent Burns can still play a little bit. Okay, let's see. Let's let's move forward now. Um, so anyway, so I really wonder if they do resign Hurdle. Um you know, and then and and then and then and then they're they're hoping that their prospects, you know, that that they've hit on some. And I, you know, I there's some question marks about it. You know, like besides Eklund, there's a big question of how many impact guys they really have. Um, but um, yeah, but I, I I I'm interested in it at least though. Um, you know, what can Doug do now if he's going to resign Hurdle? He's going to keep doubling down. Um, you know, is it a bad call? Probably. <laughs> let's be let's be honest. I that's why I did a whole episode last week about what I would do as Sharks GM. But it is possible that will work out. It just needs a couple of the right draft picks. You know, a couple guys to hit, and then suddenly you're feeling way better about yourself. You know, you find your David Pasternak with the you know you find your 
your uh, Charlie McAvoy, right? And suddenly, you know, uh, and you can find those guys in the mid rounds in the late, in the, or uh, I'm sorry, in the mid first round or late in the first round, right? Suddenly your whole complexion changes, right? And I guess the last point too, the Sharks had done that between 2013 and 16. They had added, you know, a pastor knock, a McAvoy. We'd be having a whole different conversation. We'd be talking about how how has Doug Wilson kept the Sharks going for 20 years, you know, in the playoffs. You know, they haven't missed the playoffs or whatever, right? But we're having a different conversation now. So anyway, um, so here's our in-depth look, uh, our our sober look, <laughs> even though the, the night started with me for with a couple of drinks, uh, a sober look at uh doug wilson and what went wrong with the sharks and how much blame does does he does he uh does he carry well you know i think that's up to you to decide um you know i think he made a lot of reasonable decisions at the time uh they haven't worked out but i know in this business that you get fired for you know what have you done for me lately and obviously doug has not done or the front office. doug in the front office have not done a lot for the sharks lately uh, but i think it's a you know different kind of ownership it's ownership that cares. So I do want to put that. That's my impression, at least, that it is not as involved. It's not Mark Cuban. It's not front of your face. It's not Ted uh, Leo, you know, Leosis, uh, the Capitals owner. But um, they spend money. There's never been a question. Um, you know, they put a. They tried their best to put a good product on the ice for you know as long as 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 Hasso has been the primary owner. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think uh, it's just a, a different approach. It's a more patient approach, obviously, that fans like. Then, then is normal in in uh, in, in major sports in in, in North America. Um, but but I, I I get it though. And so, how much responsibility does Doug Wilson deserve? Uh, how much blame should he shoulder? Uh, you know, probably a good amount because the buck stops with him. But the decisions made sense and the problem area of the draft to some degree has been addressed or they're trying to address it. And so we'll see how, again, we say this every week, but we'll see how it all plays out. Yeah. It's a, uh, complete objective review here. Hopefully. And everything requires context. And so that's what we attempted to use. Two here hours of context here. Two hours of context here. So yeah. <laughs> so just to close things out, make sure you guys, everyone listening, make sure you let us know your thoughts. You know, do you agree? Do you disagree? What is your favorite beer? Make sure you let us know that, of course. <laughs> and then a question uh, some people might have is uh, Sport Logic Stat of the Week. When is it coming back? It will make its appearance. It will come back. Uh, they haven't been playing enough. The bad stats are bad enough. You guys, see and you've them. heard of the bad stats, you've, yeah. You've lived them. I mean, it, it's bad. So, but it, it will make a return once things start getting um, back to a more regular hockey schedule, so to speak. And you so. know, when uh, when Shane goes over budget with time, when he goes all director's cut here, you know, it's, it's sometimes you know gotta you know, uh, you know we, we gotta go sleep. Nick's gotta go sleep. You know, I gotta go sleep. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, that's pretty much gonna do it for us today. Make sure you all go over to our Twitter account at SJHockeyNowPod. Shoot us a follow. If you can relieve us a review after listening to uh, Shang's uh, oral novel of the history of the Sharks' last 10 years, uh, make sure you follow the network at uh, HockeyPodNet. Uh, Follow Shang at Shang underscore Peng, and you can follow myself on Twitter at NickFloor underscore. 
Um, make sure you all stay safe, take care of yourselves, take care of your loved ones, and of course, stay hydrated. Mm -hmm.